Section One of the Seven Lively Arts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Seven Lively Arts by Gilbert Seldes. The Keystone the Builders Rejected for fifteen years there has existed in the united states and in the united states alone a form of entertainment which seemingly without sources in the past restored to us a kind of laughter almost unheard of in modern times it came into being by accident it had no pretensions to art for ten years or more it added an element of cheerful madness to the lives of millions and was despised and rejected by people of culture and intelligence suddenly as it appeared to them a great genius arose and the people of culture conceded that in his case but in his case alone art existed in slapstick comedy they did not remove their known expedite from the form itself perhaps only those of us who care for the rest know how good charlie is perhaps only the inexpressive multitudes who have laughed and not wondered why they laughed can know how fine slapstick is for myself i've had no greater entertainment than these dear and preposterous comedies and all i can do is remember the long dark narrow passage set out with uncomfortable chairs the sharp almond odors the sense of uncertainty and the questionable piano and then upon the screen in a drab gray and white jiggling insecurely something strange and wonderful occurred it was mingled with dull and stupid things but it had a fire a driving energy of its own and it was funny against all our inhibitions and habits it played games with men and women it made them ridiculous and mad it seemed to have no connection with the logic of human events trusting to an undecipherable logic of its own a few scholars found the commedia dell'arte living again a few artists saw that the galvanic gestures and movements were creating fresh lines and interesting angles and a nation cared for them intensely until the remorseless hostility of the genteel began to corrupt the purity of slapstick that is where we are now too early to write an epitaph late enough to pay a tribute less the year nineteen fourteen should be not otherwise distinguished in history it may be recorded that it was then or a year earlier or possibly a year later that the turning point came in the history of the american moving picture the first of the great mergers arrived an event not unforeseen in itself a logical development the press agents called it seeming to establish the picture as a definitely accepted form of entertainment it was a moment when a good critic might have foretold the course of the moving picture 
during the next decade for at that time the triangle of fine arts d w griffith k b thomas h ince and keystone mac senate was formed two of these names were already known and of the two one was to become for a time the most notable name in the profession the third was hidden behind the obscure symbol of the keystone it represented one who had acted in and was now directing the most despised and by all odds the most interesting films produced in america mr griffith was already entered on that road which has since ruined him as a director he was producing intolerance and if i may borrow a phrase from the schuberts his personal supervision was not always given to the triangle fine arts releases mr ince was presently to meditate upon the possibility of joining the word super to the word spectacle thus creating the word super spectacle and mr sennett by a process of exclusion one always arrives at mr sennett he is the keystone the builders rejected i know nothing more doleful as a subject of conversation than the social economics of the moving picture what was remarkable about the triangle was not its new method of distribution its new hold on the timid exhibitor or its capacity for making or losing fortunes the thing to note is that the two serious producers and the hard-headed business men who invested money in their efforts thought it well to associate with themselves the best producer of vulgar slapstick comedy more than that they combined in a peculiar ratio for the scheme provided that there was to be released each week either a fine arts or an ince picture and that with each of these was to be shown a keystone comedy so that those who were perpetually being caught in the rain or missing the eleven o'clock from philadelphia to new york saw twice as many keystone comedies as a fine arts or b k b releases the recent all hailing of mr chaplin as an artist because of his work in the kid the bright young reputations of harold lloyd and buster keaton indicate that most critics of the moving picture caught the train and missed the shower they certainly missed the comedies for the fine arts and ince pictures were in their time the best pictures produced and the keystone comedies were consistently and almost without exception better this is not the place to discuss the shortcomings of the feature film for the moment let the dreadful opulent gentility of a cecil de mille production serve only to sharpen the saucy gaiety of the comic the dullness of a universal set off the reverie of slapstick there is one serious point which a good critic aristotle for example would have discovered when he regarded the screen as long ago as nineteen fourteen and became aware of the superiority of the comic films he would have seen at once that while mr griffith and mr ince were both developing the technique of the moving picture they were exploiting their discoveries with materials equally or better suited to another medium the stage or the dime novel or whatever whereas mr sennett was already so enamoured of his craft that he was doing with the instruments of the moving picture precisely those things which were best suited to it those things which could not be done 
with any instrument but the camera and could appear nowhere if not on the screen this does not mean that nothing but slapstick comedy is proper to the cinema it means only that everything in slapstick is cinematographic and since perceiving a delicate adjustment of means to end or a proper relation between method and material is a source of pleasure mr sennett's developments were more capable of pleasing the judicious than those of either of his two fellow-workers the highly logical humanist critic of the films could have foreseen in nineteen fourteen without the decade of trial and error which has intervened what we see now that the one field in which the picture would most notably declare itself a failure would be that of the drama eleanor glenn cecil de mille gilbert parker in short without a moment's hesitation he would have put his finger on those two elements in the cinema which being theoretically sound had a chance of practical success the spectacle including the spectacular melodrama and the grotesque comedy several years later he would have added one word more that grotesque tragedy might conceivably succeed for it is not only the fun in the keystones which makes them successful it is the method of presentation the rightness of the spectacle film is implicit in its name the screen is a place on which things can be seen and so long as a film depends upon the eye it is right for the screen and whether it is right in any other regard depends upon taste and judgment and skill omit as irrelevant the newsreels animated cartoons educational and travel films all of them good omit equally those printed jokes and clippings from the literary digest which are at once the greatest trial and error of the screen what remains the feature film and the cabinet of dr caligari this the only film of high fantasy i have ever seen is the seeming exception which proves the rule since it owes its success to the skilfully concealed exploitation of the materials and technique of the spectacle and of the comic film and not to the dramatic quality of its story the studio settings in distortion represent the spectacle they are variations of scenery or location the chase over the roofs is a psychological parallel to the keystone copse and the weak moment of this superb picture is that in which the moving picture always fails in the double revelation at the end like that of seven keys to Balpate, representing drama no the drama film is almost always wrong the slapstick almost always right and it is divinely just that the one great figure of the screen should have risen out of the keystone studios he came too early chaplin spoiled nearly everything else for us and he is always used by those who dislike slapstick to prove their case their case regrettably is in a fair way to be proved for slapstick is in danger the hypothetical critic mentioned above has not yet occurred mr bushnell diamond the best actual critic of the movies is without sympathy for Max Sennett and calls him a bourbon in the sense of one who forgets nothing and learns less. What Mr. Sennett has needed long since is encouragement and criticism, and stupid newspaper critics who write half-columns about a new Gloria Swanson picture and add the comedy which ends the bill is down in the sewer have left slapstick wholly without direction. At the same time, the tradition of gentility, the hope of being refined has touched the grotesque comedy his directors have heard abuse and sly remarks about custard pies so long that they have begun to believe in them and the madness which is a monstrous sanity in the movie comedy is likely to die out the moving pictures being prettified the manufacturers and exhibitors are growing more and more pretentious and the riot of slapstick seems out of place in a presentation which begins with the overture to tannhauser 
and includes a baritone from the imperial opera house in warsaw singing indian love lyrics in front of an art curtain in paris there are one or two chaplin films visible nearly every day in new york the rialto theatre alone seems to make a habit of chaplin revivals and of putting its comic feature in the electric sign the capital the largest and rapidly becoming the most genteel of moving picture palaces but who ever heard of an opera palace frequently announces a program of seven or eight items without a comedy among them and you have to go to squalid streets and disreputable neighborhoods if you want to see chaplin regularly he could ask for no finer tribute to be sure but it is not much to our credit that the greatest mimic of our time has no theatre named after him that it was in berlin not in chicago or new york that the first chaplin festival took place and that tilly's punctured romance a film intensely important in his development was last built in a converted auction room on the lower east side of new york where broadway would find it vulgar there were always elements in the keystone which jeopardized its future it lacked variety it was often dull its lapses of taste were serious i transfer the name of keystone to the genre of which it was the most notable example it was for long and may still be superior to most of the others but while there is still time its miraculously good qualities can be caught and possibly preserved the ideal comedy of back senate is a fairly standardized article too much so perhaps but the elements are sound they include a simple usually preposterous plot frequently a burlesque of a serious play more important are the characters grotesque in bulk form or makeup and finally the events which have as little connection with the plot as say a clog dance in a musical comedy in the early days of the keystone it is said the plot was almost non-existent in advance and developed out of the set in the props the one which was called in revival the pile driver must have been such a film for its plot is that two men meet a pretty girl near a river and they find a huge mallet it is a film full of impromptus not very brilliant ones as a matter of fact in which senate and chaplin and mabel norman each occasionally give flashes of their qualities a few years later you see the same thing when the trick of working up a film from the material in hand has become second nature his night out presents ben turpin and charlie chaplin as equal comedians two men on a drinking party stumbling into a luxurious hotel reverting automatically to the saloon from which they have been thrown mutually assisting and hindering each other in a serious effort to do something they cannot define but which they feel to be of comic importance later one finds a more sophisticated kind of comic bright eyes has to do with a gawky young man reputed rich received into a wealthy family engaged to the daughter denounced as an impostor reduced to the kitchen flirting there with the maid restored to favor and nobly refusing the daughter's hand marrying the maid here ben turpin had good moments but much of the gaiety of the film depended upon chester conklin or one who much resembles him as another servant in the house bundling himself up in furs like beery in the arctic bidding farewell at an imaginary outpost of civilization and striding into a huge refrigerator to bring back a ham before the adoring eyes of the cook the comic film is by nature adventurous and romantic and i think what endears it to us is that the adventure is picaresque and the romance wholly unsentimental that is both are pushed to the edge of burlesque for the romance you have a love affair frequently running parallel to a parody of itself the hero is marked by peculiarities of his own the chaplain feet the hank man bang and sombre eyes the turpin squint the arbuckle bulk against these oddities and absurdities plays the serene idle beauty of a simple girl edna perviance or mabel norman in her lovely early days and only on occasions a comic in her own right like louise fazenda or polly moran 
in some five hundred slapstick comedies i do not remember one single moment of sentimentality and it seems to me that every look and gesture of false chivalry and exaggerated devotion has been parodied there the characteristic moment after all is when the comedy is ended and just as the hero is about to kiss the heroine he winks broadly and ironically at the spectators our whole tradition of love is destroyed and outraged in these careless comedies so also our tradition of heroism and since the moving picture quite naturally began by importing the whole baggage of the romantic and sentimental novel and theatre the moving picture comedy has at last arrived at burlesquing its silly serious half-sister two years before merton of the movies appeared max Sennett, with the help of ben turpin's divinely crossed eyes had consummated a burlesque of messrs griffith ince and Lebitch in a small town idle far more destructively be it said than chaplin and his carmen and with a vaster fun than merton everything incongruous and inconsequent has its place in the unrolling of the comic film love and masquerade and treachery coincidence and disguise heroism and knavishness all are distorted burlesque and exaggerated and here the camera enters all are presented at an impossible rate the culmination is in the inevitable struggle and the conventional pursuit where trick photography enters and you see the immortal keystone cops in their flivver mowing down hundreds of telegraph poles without abating their speed dashing through houses or losing their wheels and continuing blown to bits and reassembled in mid-air locomotives running wild yet never destroying the cars they so miraculously send spinning before them airplanes and submarines in and out of their elements everything capable of motion set into motion and at the height of the revel the true catastrophe the solution of the preposterous and forgotten drama with the lovers united under the canopy of smashed motor-cars or the gay feet of mr chaplin gently twinkling down the irised street and all of this is done with the camera through action presented to the eye the secret of distortion is in the camera and the secret of pace in the projector regard them for a moment regard the slapstick as every moment explains itself and then go to the picture palace and spend one-third of your time reading the flamboyancies of c gardner sullivan and another third watching the contortions of a famous actress as she registers an emotion which action and photography should present directly and you will see why the comic film is superior there is virtually no registering in the comedy there is no senseless pantomime and the titles are succinct and few in bright eyes as the marriage of convenience is about to take place the mother sweeps in with these words faint quick he's dead broke an absurd letter or telegram is introduced to set the play going the rest is literally silence what i have said about chaplin regards him as a typical slapstick comedian the form would have succeeded without him and he has passed beyond the form entirely the other practitioners of the art come out of this shadow and some of them are excellent what makes chaplin great is that he has irony and pity he knows that you must not have the one without the other he has both piety and wit next to him for his work in his bread and butter and a few other films stands hank mann who translates the childlike gravity of chaplin into a frightened innocence a serious endeavor to understand the world which seems always hostile to him he was trained i have been told as a tragic actor on the east side of new york and he seems always stricken with the cruelty and madness of an existence in which he alone is logical and sane if he walking backward to get a last glimpse of his beloved after a waiter's farewell as the caption has it steps on the running board of a motor instead of a street car he is willing to pay the usual fare and let bygones be bygones his black bang almost meets his eyes and his eyes are mournful and piteous his gesture is slow and rounded a few of the ends of the world have come upon his head and the eyelids are a little weary he is the wandering jew misdirected into comic life by an unscrupulous fate his most notable opposite is harold lloyd 
a man of no tenderness of no philosophy the embodiment of american cheek and indefatigable energy his movements are all direct straight the shortest distance between two points he will traverse impudently and persistently even if he is knocked down at the end of each trip there is no poetry in him his whole utterance being epigrammatic without overturn or image yet once at least he too stepped into that lunatic arcadia to which his spirit is alien not in grandma's boy which might just as well have been done by charles ray but in a sailor-made man here the old frenzy fell upon him the weakling won by guile and instead of fighting one man he laid out a mob from behind something excessive topsy-turvy riotous at last occurred in his ordered existence he is funny but he has no vulgarity he is smart he amuses me without making me laugh and i figure him as a step toward gentility ben turpin has progressed fortunately without taking that step in bright eyes he was mildly absurd in his night out with tapton he was tremendously funny and what he learned there of the lesson of the master he imported into his private masterpiece a small town idol like chaplin he disarms you and endears himself unlike him and often to turpin's advantage he knows how to be ridiculous one always sees chaplin's impersonations as they see themselves is he a count or a pretender or an english gentleman or a policeman or a tramp the character is completely embodied chaplin never makes fun of himself the process of identification is complete and apart from the interest and the fun of the action your chief pleasure is in awaiting the inevitable denunciation ben turpin who has only a talent for chaplin's genius makes the most of it and lets you see through him his exaggerations do more than reveal they betray and above all they betray the fact that turpin is aware of the absurdities of his characters you see them objectively and through him you see through them when he returns home as the wild west screen hero and his own picture is shown before those who so recently had despised him his deprecating gesture before the screen on which his exploits are being shown is so broad so simple silly that it is more than a description of himself as he thinks it is and lets us perceive his absurdity he is exactly a zany three other buffoons of the old keystone days retained their capacity to be amusing the galvanic jack-in-the-box al st john max swain and chester conklin they are exactly as they were ten years ago and one fancies they will never be great the difficult person to be sure about is buster keaton who came to the pictures from vaudeville and has carried into his new medium his greatest asset an enormous incorruptible gravity he never smiles they say and i have sat through some of his pictures the boat for one without seeing any reason why he should it was a long mechanical contrivance with hardly any humour and was considered a masterpiece while the pale face in which keaton played an entomologist captured by indians passed unnoticed it had nearly everything a comic needs and there were certain movements en masse certain crossings of the lines of action which were quite perfect keaton's intense preoccupation and his hard sense of personality are excellent in cops he took a purely keystone subject and multiplied and magnified it to its last degree of development thousands of policemen rushed down one street equal thousands rushed up another and before them fled this small serious figure bent on self-justification caught in a series of absurd accidents wholly law-abiding a little distracted i do not think one will soon forget the exquisite close of that picture the whole police force forming a phalanx hurled as one body into the courtyard of the station and then the little figure which having been trapped within seems doomed to arrest coming out itself accoutred in uniform and quietly quietly locking the huge doors behind it it yes for by that time keaton has become wholly impersonal so affecting larry seaman has never been nor clyde cook and behind them but longer interfollow come the misguided creatures who make the kind of slap thick 
which most people think senate makes i'm sure there are other good comedians but i'm not trying to make a catalogue no one in any case has been able to impose himself as these few have and most of the others are so near in method and manner to these that they require nothing fresh to be said of them it seemed for a moment in nineteen twenty two that if a confessed murderer were set free by a jury he or she went into the movies but if a moving picture actor was declared innocent he was barred from the screen the justice of this i cannot discuss yet a protest can be made against the aesthetically high-minded who said that the real reason for barring the films of fatty arbuckle was their vulgarity and their dullness for fatty had gone over to a comedy more refined than slapstick long before nineteen twenty two and in nineteen fourteen he was neither stupid nor dull once indeed in fatty and mabel adrift mabel being miss norman he came near to the best of slapstick and the same picture was as photography and printing for sepia seascapes and light and shade a superior thing entirely the fatuous ingratiating smile was innocent then in all conscience and as for vulgarity let us before we go to the heart of that question look for a moment at the comedy which was always set against the slapstick to condemn the custard pie school of fun the comedy of which the best practitioners were indisputably mr and mrs sidney drew in them there was nothing offensive except an enervating dullness they pretended to be pleasant episodes in our common life the life of courtship and marriage they accepted all our conventions and they were one and all exactly the sort of thing which the junior class at high school acted when money was needed to buy a new set of erasers for miss struthers course in mechanical drawing the husband stayed out late at night or was seen kissing a stenographer the wife had trouble with the maid or was extravagant at the best shops occasionally arrived at an ingenuity such as the romantic attachment of the wife to anniversaries contrasted with her husband's negligence i seem to recall that to cure her he brought her a gift one day in memory of washington's birthday these things were little stories not even smoking-room stories they were acted entirely in the technique of the amateur stage they were incredibly genteel in the milieu where when baby came is genteel neither in matter nor in manner did they employ but the camera and the projector had to give and apart from the agreeable manners of mr and mrs sidney drew nothing made them successful except the corrupt desire on the part of the spectators to be refined nothing of the sort operated in the far better feature film comedies which douglas fairbanks made when he was with fine arts to suit his physique they were almost all adventurous they were always entertaining flirting with fate presented a young man who had decided to die and gave automatic joe a gunman his last fifty dollars to bump him off unexpectedly once the agreement was made the tide of fortune turned for the young man and desiring earnestly to live he felt the paid hand of the assassin always upon his shoulder at the same time the gunman had reformed his one object was to return the unearned fifty dollars and the cross purposes the chase and flight were within short distance of high farce the comedies of charles ray were also unpretentious and also used the camera these and others were always perfectly decent but none of them was refined and there essentially we are back as slapstick for the refined comedy was pretentious and what is pretentious is vulgar in any definition of the word while slapstick never pretended to be anything but itself and could be disgusting or tasteless or dull but it could not be vulgar i consider vulgar the thing which offends against the canons of taste accepted by honest people not by imitative people not by snobs it is equally bad taste presumably to throw custard pies and to commit adultery but it is not bad taste to speak of these things what is intolerable only is the pretense and it was against pretentiousness that the slapstick comedy had its hardest fight it showed a man sitting down on a lighted gas stove and it did not hesitate to disclose the underwear charred at the buttocks which were the logical consequence of the action there was never the slightest suggestion of sexual indecency 
or moral turpitude in the keen's stones there was a fuller and freer use of gesture gesture with all parts of the human frame than we are accustomed to the laughter they evoked was broad and long it was thoracic abdominal it shook us because it was really the earth trembling beneath our feet the animal frankness and health of these pictures constituted the ground of their offence and something more for the keystone offended our sense of security in dull and business-like lives few of us imagined ourselves in the frenzy of action which they set before us none of us remained unmoved at the freedom of fancy the wildness of imagination the roaring destructive careless energy which it set loose it was an ecstasy of comic life and in our unesthetic lives we fled from it to polite comedy telling ourselves that what we had seen was ugly and displeasing often it was i am stating the case for slapstick but i do not wish to make myself responsible for the millions of feet of stupidity and ugliness which have been released as comic films i have seen ham and bud the imitators of charlie chaplin i have seen an egg spotted over a man's face with such a degree of nauseous ugliness that it seemed i could never see a comic again but as like as not on the same bill was the james young screen version of the devil with george arliss or geraldine farrar in carmen or the affairs of anatole and when people who have seen these artistic films or the barber shop scene in the hitchcock review or eddie cantor in a dentist chair exclaim falsely that moving picture comedians do nothing but throw pies i move to wonder what on earth they are expected to throw they are using the eternal materials of their art precisely as aristophanes used them and reveille with already far too many concessions to debased and cowardly and artificial taste at the two extremes simple and sophisticated people have looked directly at the slapstick screen and loved it for itself alone in between are the people who can see nothing without the lorgnettes of prejudice provided by fashion and gentility the simple ones discovered and prospered the slapstick screen long before the sophisticated were aware of its existence they took it for what it was and cared nothing for the fact that it was made by inartistic people and shown in reeking rooms for a nickel for long the poison of culture was powerless to enter but not long enough i feel moderately certain that the slapstick comedy is a good thing for america to have yet being neither an apostle of pagan joy nor a reformer i have to put my plea for slapstick on personal grounds it has given me immeasurable entertainment and i would like to see it saved i would like to see a bit more of its impromptus its unpremeditated laughter i would like to do something to banish the bleak refinement which is setting in upon it seven years ago in an imaginary conversation i made mr david wark griffith announce that he would produce helen of troy and i made him defend the keystone comedy it seemed to me then as now that there is nothing incongruous in these subjects properly made they would be equally unrefined but helen of troy being in the grand manner would be called artistic mr griffith has not made helen of troy and the preeminent right to make it has passed from his hands the keystone with its variations needs still an authoritative defender and an authoritative critic it is one of the few places where the genteel tradition does not operate where fantasy is liberated where imagination is still riotous and healthy in its economy and precision are two qualities of artistic presentation it uses still everything commonest and simplest and nearest to hand in terror of gentility it has refrained from using the broad farces of literature aristophanes and rabelais and moliere as material it could become happily sophisticated without being cultured but there is no fault inherent in its nature and its virtues are exceptional for us to appreciate slapstick may require a revolution in our way of looking at the arts having taken thought on how we now look at the arts i suggest that the revolution is not entirely undesirable End of section one